Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. At the beginning of the year, we did our introduction to the year, kind of like a state of the church address. And historically, what we do is we'll have one message where us as the pastors, we'll kind of share the stuff that's on our heart with regards to what took place in the past, kind of where we're at now, where we're going in the future. And it was a bit different this year because we are pretty much still in the process of delivering that message. And we felt like we didn't want to rush it this year and kind of just squeeze it all into one message for one day. And, um, and so we've been talking about the church. We've been talking about God's healthy household, right? We just finished the series in First Timothy. We've been talking about discipleship, speaking the truth to one another in love, the fact that we're members one of another. We've been talking about the fact that we're a body, we're a family. And <clears throat> we've had issues arise that we've had to deal with and tackle that have been challenging. And as we look kind of out on the horizon, we still have issues that are going to be coming up that we're going to have to tackle, and it's challenging times. And so we want to be well-placed and well-braced to be able to handle and deal with these issues as they, as they arise. So we're taking some more time just to talk about who we are as the church. Amen? Now I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Galatians 6. You might want to turn off the monitors. I don't know where that humming is coming from. Galatians chapter 6. And I'm going to read from verse 1 to 10. And we're talking about the church, care in, in God's community. Care in the community. Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, how many of you realize that people around you can tend to be challenging and difficult? Now, of course, I personally don't contribute to the challenges and the difficulties. I don't contribute to the problem. Now, I may not say it like that, but it is often the way that we think. And we can sometimes deceive ourselves without even realizing it. Now, these are the words that we just read of the Apostle Paul, a man who at one point in his life was very deceived, remember? Until he had an encounter with the living God. Paul writes this letter to a church that was really deceived. And it's a real church in a real place. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says to them, Oh, you foolish Galatians. He says, Who has bewitched you? Or who has tricked you? Who has deceived you? See, and it's a stark warning. See, this, this particular church in Galatia was alive at that point. How many of you know it's not alive anymore? Galatia is, is in 
is in a place called Asia Minor, using biblical language. But Asia Minor is just a, an ancient word for Turkey. And I'm you know, Turkey is a predominantly Muslim country. Hardly any churches left in, in Turkey. This is a stark warning for the church. And this whole letter is one of warning against being deceived. You know that if you've ever read through the book of Galatians. In chapter 1, Paul's so astonished at the naivety of this particular church that he doesn't even give thanks for them in his greeting, which is very unusual for, for Paul. And he immediately goes to war. And he goes to war against distorted beliefs in chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. And it's like there's a civil war in the church. You've got the false gospel up against or versus the true gospel. And in the chapter before ours, in chapter 5, Paul talks about another civil war, right? And it's not in the church, although it is, but it's in the life of every individual believer, and it's the flesh warring against the spirit. It's like a war within a war. Now, how many of you know that that battle still rages? And now Paul is going to address this as it relates to the community and also the individual. And so Paul begins our chapter, chapter 6, with an admonition to Christian fraternity or Christian community. Notice the statement in the plural, first word, brothers and sisters. This is a group larger than one. And it's a group that's affiliated. It's a group that's in relationship. This is the church community, the church family, brothers, he says. If anyone is caught in any transgression, notice that. Anyone in any. It can happen to anyone in any place at any time. If anyone is caught in any transgression. The word means to be overtaken. It means to be surprised and seized without warning. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I think about the scene in the garden, and the enemy comes to Eve, right? And it's all stealthy, it's all stealthy and it's, it's cool and it's, 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 it's no hype and drama. And she doesn't realize it and she gets caught unawares. And here comes her husband, Adam, where he should have been much more alert. Two twos, kind of walks into it casually and before you know it, he gets snared. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Car, the devil goes around, trust me, the devil goes around, how? Like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, and we have to be careful to take note of ourselves. See, how we see ourselves privately affects how we relate to one another publicly. Can you see that when it comes to issues of sin, issues of transgression, the aim is what? When someone sins, what's Paul saying we must do? Fundamentally, the aim is to restore that person. Now, sometimes that don't work out. We was watching a film last night and it had all of these ideal scenarios. Sometimes life don't provide us with ideal scenarios. But we got an aim for that. We've got a hope for that. That's what it says about love in 1 Corinthians. Hope bears all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Restoration. And healthy restoration begins with healthy personal evaluation. And you know, I can't do that on my own. As much as I'd like to think I can. And neither can you. We need each other. We need each other. David said, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. David couldn't trust himself to check it and search his own heart. He needed help. And sometimes even as he cried out to God, he needed the prophet Nathan to come and step to him and tell him what was going on in his own heart. A lie? 
We need help. We need each other. Now, in order to restore someone means to, we must first of all see our own state clearly. That's, what commu- that's why community is so important. Because we all have blind spots, don't we? You ever reverse your car and had a quick look and think everything is clear only to mash up the back of the, the bumper and come out and think, what happened? You think you, you think you hit some car, you jump out your car, there ain't no car. <laughs> Big old lamppost that you missed, that you swore that you looked and checked and never saw. We, got, we, we all have blind spots. Let him who thinks he stands take heed. And these Galatian Christians, they were not carefully considering themselves. Turn back a page to Galatians 5. Verse 13. Paul says, look, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Notice he's speaking to Christians. At least that's that's his, as far as he's concerned, that's who he's speaking to. Can never always tell. He says, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but rather, through love, serve one another. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, oh my gosh. If you bite and devour, I thought we just said that it was the devil's job to do that. He's the roaring lion, right? If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And in verse 19 and 21, we see the list of the works of the flesh, right? In Galatians 5. Eight out of the 15 of those are about the way that we relate to one another. Hatred, envy, strife, jealousy, etc. Look at the last verse of chapter 5, verse 26. It says, Paul says, let us not become conceited. And I like how he puts himself in there. Not you, you know, us, because even he realizes his own vulnerability. Let us not become, what? Conceited, which leads to us provoking one another and envying one another. Conceit. Conce- Should have done that. Yeah, that will help you. Conceit is an excessively high opinion of one's own ability and importance. To be, it's, it's to be full of myself, my good looks, my, are you laughing at? My physique, my career, size of my bank account, my abilities, qualities, my wisdom, my deserving. And, and for me to be conceited... I can't do it on my own. I need other people against, against which I can compare myself. Your conceit won't be displayed if you're living on a desert island. But being airlifted and dropped into the middle of a populated community, huh? this provides fertile opportunity for my conceit to flourish. And to waft. <laughs> Our conceit loves people. But it's the wrong kind of love, you know. Our conceit loves people for two bad, wrong reasons. Our conceit loves people so that I can provoke you. And the second reason our conceit loves people is because I need people against whom I can feel superior. Provoking has the idea of challenging to a contest. It's the thinking that says, I know I'm superior to you. I just need an opportunity to prove it so that everyone else can see. Realistically, truth be known, I realize that I'm not actually superior to everybody. I mean, there's a few people that I'm not superior to, right? Realistically, there are those to whom I actually feel inferior. And this annoys me. So as a result, what do I do? I envy them. And my conceit is nurtured. 
And what's the result when this begins to happen in the church? For crying out loud, the man's talking to Christians. What happens when it begins? And may I remind you that the church is a place that's full of sinful people. What happens when this begins to take place in the church? Well, understanding verse 26 at the end of chapter 5 helps us to appreciate our text, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, remember what I said, is to be overtaken, surprised or seized without warning. It's suddenly invaded by inside or outside attack. Like walking along a quiet path, along a gentle stream, and snap, all of a sudden, my foot's caught in a trap. I mean, you're not expecting to see like some bear trap in the middle of, I don't know, the Devon countryside. You know what I mean? Cornwall's more rocky. Devon's more hilly, right? I think. Where's Mark? You're not expecting to see that it's suddenly come upon, it's unexpected, it's sudden, it's surprising. And it's a split second occurrence. It's when you, you're put in a very difficult position and instead of telling the truth, split second you're like, and you, and you, and you make a choice and you tell a lie. Someone offers you something And you wouldn't normally take it. But maybe you're in a moment of weakness and against all the odds you accept it. Split second decision. And it could be drugs. It could be one too many drinks. It can be a bribe. It might be a sexual encounter. And before you know it, you've fallen. And the question on the table is, How do we respond to that person who has fallen? You who are spiritual should restore him or her. How? In a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. Isn't it true to say that the way we treat others when they fall will be determined by the opinion that we have of ourselves? If I'm conceited, how will I respond? Well, of course, I'll stand aloof. I won't be friendly and forthcoming. I will be distant and uninterested, exuding an air of distaste. And in my heart, I will despise a fallen brother or sister. But Paul just said that our attitude should be one of gentleness, which is highlighted in chapter 5 in contrast to the works of the flesh as one of the fruit of the Spirit. We, that is, those of us who are spiritual, that's basically just if you're Christian, saved by grace. We ought to move in the direction of that fallen individual, carefully considering ourselves, and that with a motivation towards restoration. Can you see that? Let's see sin seriously and be responsible, yet radical and robust in seeking restoration. Amen? And we, and, and we have to do it sometimes for that person because sometimes they're not in a place to do it for themselves. I mean, the scripture says in James that we ought to confess our faults one to another, right? But sometimes you're in that place where you can't even do that. Especially if you're fallen and you're busted and you're broken. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. And look what happens when we do that. We are fulfilling the law of Christ. Now you might be like, wait a minute, law? I thought like in the New Testament, like the Old Testament was the whole law thing. Like New Te- Law? The law of Christ. Remember John said, <clears throat> Jesus actually said in John's gospel, 
He said, another commandment I write unto you that what? That you should love one another. He says, another commandment I write unto you that you should love one another. And it's really just an extension of the Old Testament Ten Commandments. The first four are directed toward God and the last six are directed toward man, right? First commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. Second commandment, you must not have any idols that come in the place of God. Third commandment is you don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Fourth commandment is you keep his Sabbath holy. First four are toward God. The other six, fifth commandment, Honor your mother and your father. Oh, that's horizontal. That's not vertical. Oh, honor my mother and my father. That your days, first commandment with promise, that your days may be long upon the land. Sixth commandment, you must not what? You must not, you, you must learn the Ten Commandments. That's what you must do. <laughs> the sixth commandment, I wasn't buying time. The sixth commandment, the sixth commandment is, did I just lie, you know? That's the ninth commandment. The sixth commandment, you must not kill. Seven, don't commit adultery. Eight, you must not steal. Nine, we just said that, you mustn't lie. And the tenth commandment is, don't be covetous. Covetous. Tenth commandment. Now, you see, first four to, to God, to God, second six to man. Well, this new commandment really is just encapsulating that, isn't it? It's saying, the first one is love God. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 says, A new what? Commandment I give to you. See, the Bible's not inconsistent, you know. Don't get it twisted. Don't listen to them Hebrew Israelites out on, I don't know, Lewisham or whatever, them Muslims want to tell you about, about how your Bible's corrupted. Now, we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if the word of truth can be rightly divided, guess what? It can be wrongly divided. We just need to be able to understand it by the grace of God. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Like Pastor E was saying last week, just as I have loved you, says Jesus. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a holy per love. That's like, be, be prepared to lay down your life for a, for a brethren kind of love. That's, that's a holy per love. That's, that's husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Oh my gosh. That one made, that one made me tremble. Not, not tremble, you know. That made me tremble at the altar when I heard that one. And by God's grace, he's been helping me for 23 years this October to, to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I obviously don't always do that, but that's the goal, right? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a holy per love. It says, that's the way you're to love one another. By this, all people will know. Because that kind of love you can't find. You don't, you don't, you don't like you walk out the road and find a 10 pound note. That's, you, don't, you don't find that kind of love just lying around the place. Because it's an unconditional, it's not just, it's an unconditional love. The type of love you give to someone because they, when, when they do or even when they don't deserve it. See, and when, when people see that kind of love, they can only associate that with one person. One person who loved in that kind of fashion. See? And then we have another love one another, if you remember from last week. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 says, with all humility and what? Gentleness. And another fruit of the Spirit, patience. Bearing with one another in love. Ephesians, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. First John chapter 4 verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now when you do so, you fulfill the law of Christ. Christ is glorified 
When we love one another with that kind of love, and especially when we love someone who ain't lovable because of what they did, because they, do, they don't deserve that kind of love. But how many of you know that's the kind of love that that person needs at that time, at that moment? And if you don't know, there will be a point in time when you will know. May God help us. Back to our text, verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is big things, right? When he is nothing, what does he do? What does she do? They deceive themselves. Self-deception is, is something that we're all susceptible to. And it's a reference back to the conceited person back at the end of chapter 5. Continuing in verse 4 and 5. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now this sounds like a contradiction. If you've read it before, I know as I've read this in the part, I'll be like, I don't understand this, this don't make sense, can't see the, con- the, the connection. But I think it was Chuck Missler I heard 24 hours through the Bible. Remember that, fellas? Um, he said, anytime you come across an apparent contradiction, oh my gosh, you may have to dig. But you see, when you're done dig, bam, you hit treasure. You hit gold, diamonds, like golden Nuggets. <laughs> Sounds like a contradiction. So, do we carry our burdens, verse 2, or just worry about our own burdens? Sorry, do we carry others' burdens, verse 2, or just worry about our own burdens, verse 5? Well, first of all, the words for burden are different, and the context is different. Verse 2, the burden is, is one of sin and its consequences. In verse 5... It's talking about my moral responsibility for my own actions. Verse 5 suggests my moral responsibilities before God as an individual, not compared to anyone else. Which, if I'm not careful, is exactly what feeds deceit. Comparing ourselves among ourselves, Paul says it's not wise. See, I must assess my actions in the light of God's word. I stand or fall before God. It doesn't matter how much better than you I am. It don't, it don't matter how much better than, than me you are. How, how do we compare to Christ? That's the issue. And guess what? We all fall short. And that's the burden that each one of us has to bear. If your shoulders are broad enough. The question is, has Jesus borne your sin burden? Or are you going to bear it? If he has, then you're forgiven and you're a recipient of eternal life. If he hasn't borne your burden, you will endure the full anger and the, the full fury from God as a result of your sin. And you won't get off the hook just because you go to church. We've been saying this recently. You have to personally repent of your sin and permanently turn toward God, trusting him for forgiveness. And all of this becomes available to us because Jesus became a substitute For us on the cross. He became a substitute for our sins. He didn't deserve to die. We deserve to die. But he died in our place. The innocent for the guilty. In order that the guilty may go. May go free and be made innocent. He who knew no sin. Became sin. Was made sin for us. In order that we might be made. The righteousness of God. In him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. See, that's what we were reminded about when we took communion earlier on. See, Paul's concern here is about sin. 
Don't get it twisted. But more so in the context, how the rest of us respond to it. It's sad when people fall. But when they do, because they will, will we pick them up again? And, and that's what church, that's what community, that's what family is supposed to be all about. What type of church is going to be the kind of church that will do this? Well, it's going to be the type of church where the word of God, the gospel, is valued. Look at verse 6, which incidentally seems very out of place, out of context. How do these two thoughts now relate? Verse 6, one who is taught the word, that's the type of church you want, where, where the word is taught. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now the key word here is share. Share. It's the word from which we get our word, fellowship. It's a relationship word. Here are Christians in relationship, in community. Did you know the fact that we get together twice a week is amazing? Sundays and midweek at community group. And then there's prayer meeting. Last night we had men's meeting. Last Saturday the ladies had women's meeting. I mean, some t- Last week I saw some of you four times. <laughs> They're laughing because it was in my house. I think I must have seen some of you in it. Yeah. Got to get a bit, we've got to get a bit raggle. I said, nine o'clock, that's it. You lot, come out. Car people got to go to their bed. Four times I saw some of you last week. Um, I mean, I, I saw Pastor E and Pastor P over six times last week. I mean, oh my gosh, it's nuts. And, and I didn't go to prayer meeting last week because I was sick. The fact that we get together at least twice a week is big. It's healthy. And then you've got the vine. Oh my gosh. Sometimes I open up the vine. Sometimes I'm scared to open the thing up. Because there's so much going on. And you feel like, oh, I want to catch up on what's going on. But I don't have an hour just to sit down and, 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 and surf. But people are on there every five minutes speaking to that person. And you heard Pastor E earlier in the announcements, right? My gosh, people are connecting 10, 20 times a day. It's It's beautiful. And, and you know, it's one thing to meet up because you have to. It's another thing to meet up because you want to. That's community. That's relationship. And some of you are missing out. Why? Because you stand aloof. Because you separate yourself. Does that sound like someone who could possibly be deceived? And see, if you're not careful, you're going to get done for neglect you feel it in your experience Bible says we ought not to do like the manner of some and neglect fellowship but we should fellowship how? much more as we see the day approaching Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 right? This word share in verse 6 is where we get the word fellowship, Christians in relationship. And look at the type of relationship that that is. It's those who give instruction and those who receive instruction. I mean, in a word, it's discipleship. And we all, including me and us as the pastors, and we all fall into these two categories at some time or other. That's one of the reasons why, you know what I'm saying, one of the reasons, there's a multitude of them where we've chosen a plurality of eldership model. You know what I'm saying? It could be Pastor Pete up here preaching every week, or Pastor E, and you don't know that they're capable. You know what I mean? But we've chosen to do it this way, so last week I'm sitting down, in it? Sit down and Listen. And now I'm up here. Thank God, look, Ayo up here doing communion. See Maurice come up and join in. Mikey P prayed for the offering. Yeah. This is a team effort. Team ministry. 
You know what I mean? So sometimes we're speaking and we're teaching and instructing and sometimes we're sitting down and we're receiving that. That's healthy. It's healthy. And we all fall into those two categories. And the implication of verse 6 is that the work of instruction, the teaching of the Bible, at least for those of us who take responsibility to teach doctrine, is a very time-consuming and a demanding activity. And in a church where the word of God is valued, like this one, thank the Lord, the church will hopefully want to say to certain people at certain times, we want to be able to help you so that you can give attention, you can give time, effort, and energy to preparation. Because I'm sure you ain't got time to waste on a Sunday to come sit down here, especially when it's cold in this building, and those of us who are stepping up to teach ain't got nothing to say. I mean, we've all been in those environments where someone stands up and they don't even open the Bible. They're just here telling you funny stories and anecdotes. I remember I was, I was telling the guys the other week, the television was, was silent. It was on, but it was silent. And I see this brother on stage and he's walking up and down and he's got the microphone and people are laughing. And, it, and I looked at him. And it was, it was a guy preaching in church. But then, another time I saw the same thing. But it wasn't a preacher in church. It was, what's the guy? He, was, he wears a black suit and you see clips of him speaking in different places, but it's the same message. But he's a comedian. Was it, is it Chris Rock? Is it Chris Rock? Is he one that, he's a comedian, isn't it? Man, I looked at the, t- I looked at the thing. And I thought, but wait a minute, he looked just like the preacher. Or wait a minute, was it, was, is it the other way around? The preacher looked like him. And it, and it gets to the point where church becomes like a place where you come to be entertained. And yeah, what do you think about the message? It was all right. It wasn't really that funny today. <laughs> and I was kind of, it was a bit boring actually. And sometimes we can get in a trap where we're coming... You know what I'm saying? In the house of God, to be entertained. You know what I mean? And we'd be like, I don't know, what's that come dancing? Well, I'll give him a four out of ten. I don't know. (laughs) Strictly come dancing. Where was I? So, when it comes to teaching God's word, we want to have something substantial. It may not be tasty. How many of you know broccoli, cabbage, carrot, that, that stuff is good for you. It may not taste the greatest, but how many of you know that stuff is good for you? You can't come to church and, and just want crisps and fizzy drink. Right. Who, who, who is it that prefers to eat that type of food? <laughs> Generally speaking. We want to be mature, innit? And so... You know, it's, it's, it's our aim to provide you with sustenance. And in order for, for us to be able to do that, it takes time, commitment, effort, and energy. And so we have like seven people here in our church who are in full or part-time study, um, studying theology. In order to be equipped so that they can teach us so that they can teach the children, can teach the youth, can teach the church faithfully. And we, those who are studying, are being supported mainly by external provision. Now, won't it be a blessing? We've been talking about this. You know, we started to talk about this money thing, right? So we're not nervous about money anymore because we've been talking about it because we need to talk about it. Won't it be a blessing when we as a church can support our pastors and our church workers financially? That will be a healthy thing, won't it? So I hope that you look forward to being able to share with us who teach and instruct you regularly. We want to be able to fund interns. It's like, oh my gosh. So that our homegrown talent doesn't get siphoned off by other churches. I mean, sometimes it feels like Arsenal, like Arsenal Football Club. 
I'm like, if you notice that Jehazel and Nadine are not here. Why? Because some next church just, 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 just scraped them up. I've got them working in their, in their church. Now, I'm not hating, but come on now. That's one of our star players. I'm like, you think about Sammy G just recently, before, I mean, what, I mean, before Christmas. What a Christmas present. You know what I mean? Sammy, G, Sammy, Sammy and Abby. They left because they want to do ministry, you know. But Sammy's got to put food on the table. I said, they've gone to a church that can pay them. It's a crying shame. It's, a, it's good for them. But we're losing all our players, man. We're going to get kicked out of the premiership. My gosh. See? And it's because we can't provide for them in that sense. We can't, we can't pay our players. <laughs> You know, because we can't even provide for us. It will be great when we can pay for administrational needs, even prayerfully begin to plan towards purchasing maybe even our own building. And something that's an absolute necessity, the building will be great. But what would be an absolute necessity is that we begin to plant other churches. And in order to do it healthily, so when GP's ready, you get me? Would they say, fam, yeah, what? Ready to, go, ready to go plant that church now, you know, bruv. And we can send him with a team of people. And we can, for the first couple of years, we can provide his salary. So you don't have to worry about, am I going to feed the little ones when they, when they soon come? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and, it's, and that's righteous. We need, to be, we need to be planting churches and, and we are honestly praying about that and seeking God about that because that is a, how many of you know that's a healthy church? A church that, a ch- a church that plants churches that plants churches. So in five, ten years time, that church that we plant should be planting other churches because it's, from, it's supposed to be from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then we become a, Jude- a Jerusalem here, right here in Broccoli. Boom. And then when we plant a church over here, they now become... Jerusalem, Judea for us, but now they are their Jerusalem. And then when they plant a church, then that becomes their Judea. But how many of you know that's our boom, boom, that's our Samaria? And then when we're ready to plant some churches in Jamaica, then we've gone to the uttermost parts of the earth. But you know what? It takes funding, it takes finance. The church. Won't it be great when we have finances surplus to requirements? And the Lord will provide it when the time is right. We're not, we're not, ready, we're not ready yet. Probably can't, we can't spend that money righteously yet. But when the time is right, and we're trying to prepare for that. Well, this is, <clears throat> this whole, this is where you come in. This is the principle of verse 6. And I'm going to tie it together in a minute. The church sharing financially, providing for those who teach and instruct. Now, I suspect that Paul had to say this to the Galatian church. It's a crying shame, but he had to say it to the church because they weren't doing it. And the ministry of the gospel of grace became terribly undervalued. See, they were becoming conceited. They thought that they could stand alone they could stand afar off i need to get involved in helping financially see and conceit it does two things it causes me to stand at a distance this is tying it together stand at a distance with regards to my brother when he sins and it also causes me to stand alone and reject my brother when he teaches you know what, I'll come and, yeah, if you kind of make me excited, I might just put in a fiver in the plate. Otherwise, why should I give more than a pound? That's conceit. Conceit. Love, by contrast, is beautiful. Because what it does is, it bears a brother's burdens. And it's both brother's. 
right there, the fallen brother who sins and also the brother there who's teaching. By contrast, love bears a brother's burdens. See that? Can you see the connection? Now, both of these are costly. So here comes a warning in verse 7 and 8 and an encouragement as we get ready to wrap up in verse 9 and 10. A warning, 7 and 8, an encouragement in verse 9 and 10. Verse 7, do not be deceived. Very often we can quote this verse, very well-known verse. I quoted it a million times out of context. Do not be deceived because God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, obviously, there is a general principle here, right? And it's a simple principle. And the thing, the thing about sowing and reaping is you never get back what you sow. You always get back more than what you sow. Because you sow a seed, you don't get back another seed. You get back an apple with seeds in it. And when you plant one of those seeds, you get a tree. And that tree produces fruit season after season after season and it's more fruit season on season you always get back more than what you planted see and it wouldn't be too bad if we weren't sowing anything then there wouldn't be a return good or bad but look at verse 8 for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You might say, oh, okay. I see that I've not been supporting my brother that's mash up over there. You think, yeah, okay. I agree. But see, have you, have you also seen why you possibly haven't helped him? It's because you're conceited. Don't miss that part out. Don't see one part without other. You might say, oh, well, I see I haven't really been giving substantially, you know what I'm saying, to the local church, whether financially or in terms of my time, you know what I'm saying, or in terms of my talent. But be careful not to miss the other part. Remember that you have been spending your money. <laughs> You have been sowing that seed. It just ain't, been, ain't necessarily been in one garden. It's been in another. See, and the question is, what have you been spending it on? What have I been spending my money on? Have you been spending it in a godly way or in an, or in an ungodly way? Where have you planted your seed? Because you have planted it somewhere. John Piper takes this to some next level. He sees this as a salvation issue, comparing corruption and life in an eternal sense. Now, I don't, I don't know if I'm brave enough to do that. But what we can confidently say is don't be deceived. You can't sow chrysanthemum seeds and expect oranges. That has been ridiculous. It's been stupid. It's been foolish. That's fooling us. That's deception. That's us deceiving ourselves. You can go through your Christian life, honestly, sowing to the flesh. By ignoring your brother's burdens, completely disengaging, and not providing also for those who teach, who feed you spiritually. But listen as Paul ends on a positive note. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. He's taking it for granted that, okay, you're not the person who's going to... And if you are that person, you're going to repent. He says, come on, let's not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. We can get weary doing the right thing. Especially when we don't see a harvest, right? But don't worry about what's happening with the seed in the ground. Just keep on sowing. Just keep on sowing in the right place. Keep on sowing to the Spirit. In the context that is bearing the burdens of others and supporting those who feed you spiritually. Don't get weary in so doing. For in due season, we will reap 
if we do not give up. Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, which is synonymous for the church. So thinking about how we relate to one another regarding those who've sinned and those who teach God's word, can I give you a challenge? And the challenge this week is one, to share the good news with a non-Christian. Because we talked about the brother that's busted and fallen. How about the person that's not a Christian when they're busted and fallen? At least when you're a Christian, like Spurgeon says, you know, the winds and the waves of life, they toss you to and fro and then whoop, you fall over. But you fall over on the deck of the ship and the ship is solid. ship ain't going nowhere. You're safe. You're saved. But what about the person who ain't on the boat, ain't on the ship? When their life crashes, it's over. So take the opportunity this week to share the good news, share the gospel with someone that's not a Christian. So we can drag them into one of the lifeboats. We can introduce them to Christ Jesus so he can take away the eternal burden of sin. Let's bear their burdens. Secondly, let's look for an opportunity to bear another Christian's burdens. You don't have to look very far. And it's really taking that question a bit a step further. How are you doing? And they may say, well, and they hesitate. That's your opportunity right there. And just press it a little bit further. Put your arm around them. Ask them if you can pray for them. Ask them if there's anything you can do to help, practically speaking. And I mean, and in third, prayerfully consider how you can give time, talent, and of your treasure, like I also said earlier, and of your treasure to your local church. And I mean, the local church, we're going to get to a point, when we get home, we're going to look back and we're going to go, oh my gosh. When we see how glorious the church is, because you know the church is a reflection of Christ. Jesus says, your city set on a hill, you're a light that can't be hidden. But we ain't got no light. We're like the moon. We just reflect light. Jesus is the light of the world. And I'm saying, and we reflect him. And when we see what the church meant to to the Lord, when we see and understand the the purchase price of redemption, we're going to be like, oh my gosh, how could I have had any other major agenda? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Christ is glorified when we bear another's burdens. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.